Hello and welcome to Owls Americast episode 64. And you know, this week I've heard rumblings on Twitter that the Sheffield Wednesday podcast community is full of a bunch of fake, annoying, snobby hipsters. Well, I'll be short and sweet about what I think about that. We disagree. Joining me today on track one of our 1975 Tascam 4 track analog recorder, the man that just arrived on a Schwinn Tiger bicycle with all the original parts. He hates tourists, capitalism, and pop music, and he still wears the Nike Cortez running shoes that he got for Christmas 1972, well before Nike went public and monopolized the entire shoe game. It's our captain from Manhattan, James Allen. Jamesy, what fine local craft soda are you sipping this evening? Good, good evening, Evan. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm not sipping your average craft ale. I'm, uh, I'm sipping a collaboration ale. It's, uh, it's by my local uh, microbrew um, by the Alewife Brewing Company. They're just a little startup in Queens, uh, but they've, uh, they've collaborated with a uh, bespoke coffee roasters called Sweetleaf, which is also around the corner in Astoria. Um, and they've, uh, they've created an absolutely beautiful uh, 10% Imperial Russian stout, which is called Alien Technology. Uh, I'm basically sipping it out of a bamboo cup though because that really harbors the flavor after it's been aged for a couple of hours in the fridge sounds wonderful next it's the man that nearly caused us to start late as he's just arrived back from his bi-weekly trip collecting fresh coffee beans in indonesia for his home roasting operation you can often catch him at greenwich village comedy club scouting for new talent so he can show off to his friends, or you can find him at Drum in East Village, hanging with the local musicians. He's the trendiest man in New Jersey, the New York gal, Patty Jones. Patty, what are you gulping from your snifter tonight? <laughs> Good evening, Evan. I am gulping for my snifter, uh, uh, Southern Tier uh, Brewing Company. It's uh, New Juice IPA. Uh, it's six percent. It is very nice, and I'm actually drinking it out of a wooden vessel as well. Uh, obviously, that is the new hipster thing. People have to drink out of wooden things. It is a hollowed-out baseball, uh, a Mets baseball uh, bat. Sorry, not hollowed-out baseball, a hollowed-out baseball bat, um, which of course is very hipster for a guy from the UK to do because no one in the UK likes baseball, only cool kids. So that's what I'm doing. Excellent, and last, and happily least. On track three, it's me, your flat-capped Donning, Ohio Al, Evan Skilleter, and I'm sipping on a fine 12-year bourbon gifted to me by my good friend Sven, who's been making spirits in his basement distillery since he was 16. Anyway, fellas, it's good to be with you. I wasn't sure I was going to make it today as I've been quite busy writing a new concept album about Liam Palmer, but here we are to talk about <laughs> all things Wednesday. Throughout the course of this podcast, we'll chat about the frustrating nil-nil draw at Stoke, We'll get into some Wednesday news, chat with a Wednesday fan, and a glorious return of the original segment, How I Became a Wednesdayite, and we'll preview Villa to discuss the weekend's meetups. That's enough for me, though. Boys, tell me, how excited were you to see not only Fessy in the lineup, but also Gary Super Hooper? Uh, on, on a scale of excited to, like, very excited to, I'm literally busting out my pants excited, um, the latter. Uh, me too. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't busting out James's pants. That would be very different. Uh, but I was very excited to see that happen. And uh, it was a nice surprise, right? I feel like um, Bruce, is, Bruce knows what the fans want, uh, and he often delivers it. Um, it. I mean, I won't state from the top here. Obviously, this is <laughs> before... We were trying to set expectations of what we were like before we saw them play football that day. But as, <laughs> as the first lineup was announced, very excited, Evan. There was a little difference, wasn't there, between the, just seeing the name on the team sheet versus seeing the movement on the field. But yeah, I mean, in, in that kind of that magical hour before a game of football at Stoke actually started, it was um, it was sort of like taking a step back in time, wasn't it? You've got a st the, the starting lineup was as, as probably as strong, at least on paper, as we've been able to list in in a long time. Um, I was going to quantify that in months. I wonder if I could quantify it in years. But you know, seeing Gary Hooper's name up front when we haven't, you know, really got a sense that he was ready to start a game yet was um, was super exciting. And I think you know the whole fan base got a boost out of it, like you said, Paddy. So you know whether that was a device by Bruce just to kind of give everybody a lift coming in out of the international break, or actually you know probably quite a shrewd move in terms of the fact that you know it gets him game time as opposed to um, you know, having to get you know, five, ten minutes out of him at the end of a game, which, which probably was always going to be a pretty tight fixture. Um, you know, it, it, was just, it was just a really enlightening and exciting thing to see. Um, you know, obviously, um, I was talking about some very tight pants when I was uh, making that analogy earlier on, so it wasn't that hard to get excited, but we were all pretty, pretty, pretty chuffed to see that. It wasn't that hard, was it, James? Hey. <laughs> Easy. 
family show family show so i just i wasn't expecting it um it, it was one of those things that i pulled up my phone i think one of you tweeted from the, the alice america's account that hooper was starting and then my notification that i got was that someone liked the tweet and that was the first i had i had heard and i guess there was such a long break that I, I didn't even think about the fact that that was a possibility so it was cool to see him and then obviously the excitement was dashed when the match started and boyd comes trotting out with his long hair flopping all over the place uh turning up for aaron's is the last minute sub can I just say a word in defense of George Boyd for a second? I mean, you know, give, given the obvious lens that's been placed on the um, the celebration of Wednesday hipster fandom this week, you know, what's wrong with a bit of, uh, of a man bun and a, and a ponytail? I mean, well, a, it is quite stark like. <laughs> um, so it kind of got me in the mood for Game of Thrones, right? The long, dark hair, Jon Snow ish. Obviously, not as curly and beautiful, but. Um, Surely doesn't play like a Stark, though, does he? Tell you what, Jon Snow stands up a whole lot better against a wildling uh, onslaught than uh, George Boyd does against Stokes midfield. But, uh, Paddy, why didn't you talk about George Boyd's performance being his number one fan? Well, you know what? I'm going to surprise you all. Because, yes, I was uh, almost apoplectic with rage when I looked at the TV and saw George Boyd strolling around the field after just seeing that we had the best lineup in years, minutes before that. So, uh, yeah, very disappointing to see Aaron's... Um, not make it onto that pitch and be replaced by someone who has about a quarter of the speed of Aaron's and about a tenth of his actual gumption and talent. But, 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 I actually think Boyd had a good game. (laughs) Uh, It was certainly um, putting himself about more than he usually does. Uh, I think he was quite good in defence. He got stuck in and he should have had a goal in my opinion. What do you reckon? I disagree after watching it a few times. I do think he was offside. Um, I think Hooper could have played the ball a little bit sooner. But from from the angle that we got, which is just the, the midfield, um, halfway line camera angle, he, he, di- he did look maybe a step or two offside. I'm kind of on the fence on this one. Because in, in real time, Paddy, I agree with you. Uh, sorry, Evan, I agree with you. I think it was offside. Um, you go back and you watch it again, and you can, if you freeze it at just the right point as the ball appears to leave Gary Hooper's boot, it looks like he's level. Um, and you can definitely create those stills that have been circulating on Twitter and uh, and make that case. Um, it's tight. If, I think the the general rule is that if it's tight, the attacker should get the benefit of the doubt. That clearly wasn't invoked in this instance. Um, and I think what probably is more frustrating is that the linesman didn't actually flag until the ball's in the net, and it wasn't like it was kind of you know. An offside inside the box. He was, he was several yards outside the box when it yeah. uh, when it all started. So that's kind of frustrating. I actually thought the ball through from Hooper was beautiful. It was kind of it was the one moment in the game where Hooper kind of looked like his old self. Um, you know, he picks the ball up just just beyond halfway, I think, and it's just kind of that initial touch that knocks it beyond the midfield that kind of gives him that burst of uh, of space to get into. Takes you know stride or two forward and then releases Boyd and Boyd times his run almost to perfection. But yeah, I, I think it probably is just offside. Um, but it was it was kind of promising, right? I mean, you know, promising on a couple of levels. Promising because it shows that Gary Hooper's still got it, even if he hasn't necessarily got the fitness and the match fitness particularly yet to, to kind of show that across the course of a whole game. Um, and promising because George Boyd was in the right place and, and doing the right thing. And I agree with you generally, Paddy. I thought he had a, an all right game in midfield. I, I just honestly think that his... His sudden elevation to the starting lineup and Aaron's dropping out changed the way that our midfield operated, and that really cost us getting going in the game and kind of gave a lot of the impetus to Stoke. It was a great take, though, my boy, wasn't it? It was a great finish, uh, rounding the keeper, and that's not a bad keeper to round. He's a, he's a very good keeper. Um, but for him to uh, basically walk it round him and slot it in the back of the net, I was amazed what was happening. That's why I was almost like, it was too good to be true, and therefore I pretty much expected it to be ruled out straight away. And it was, uh, sadly. But um, like you said, I, I think looking back at it, uh, I think it's much closer than I originally thought. Um, and with the benefit of doubt given, it should have stood in my eyes. Well, and I think Hooper added a, a new level of um, energy and electricity to to the the starting eleven that you know we haven't seen in a while. And I mean, we've obviously been playing well, but any time you can inject a guy like that back into the lineup. Uh, I think it lifts up a few players, and um, you know, sure. I, I still, I still think he was offside, but it, it 
it's not to say that it wasn't a great build-up, it wasn't a great move, and um, obviously a great finish from Boyd. So hopefully a little confidence back uh, to Boyd, and um, I think Hooper played well enough to, to take a lot away from, from his performance. Um, we, did, uh, we did miss uh, Stephen Fletcher, though, didn't we? <clears throat> I mean, I thought, you know, it, it's right to compliment Hooper on a you know, perfectly good first game back, you know, especially given the the, the non-expectations that we had going in. But, you know, Fletcher's ability to hold that line and, and kind of play as the target man, um, we really kind of miss that ability to make the ball stick up front. You know, Hooper and what I was alluding to earlier on in terms of the midfield complexion changing, you know, both Hooper and Fernando Forestieri were dropping deep to come and get the ball off the midfield, off the toes of the midfielders. We just didn't have that outlet that Stephen Fletcher gives us, where you can you know the ball's going to go up, it's going to stick with him, and then you can have a runner off of Fletcher. Um, and I think that it just changed the way we played relative to the way we were playing before the international break, and, and changed the complexion of the game a bit. Yeah, totally. Uh, and look, we've been playing with Fletcher. Thankfully, um, touch touch all pieces of wood. Uh, pretty consecutively uh, the most fit striker we've had for a long time now and it's shown in his form and his goal is scored um, but it's just we can't play that way with Fessy and Hooper as the top two it's just a totally different uh, uh, way of playing we weren't Bruce hasn't had enough time to develop a plan B yet with those two up front so he admits it himself this is kind of a makeshift um, side or a makeshift top two at least at the moment based on the amount of injuries we've got so I think he threw the dice, uh, Bruce, um, and I think it was it didn't work necessarily up front. I think Hooper did fine. There's a lot of sloppy passes between him and Fessy and the rest of the team. Um, it was a very choppy first half. Not a lot of quality in the, um, the final third at all from either side. Um, but I don't know. I just felt a little bit sore that we didn't get that goal from, uh, from Boyd. But um, on to the second half, um, pretty much the same really. I didn't think we did a lot going forward. Um, I thought Stoke actually looked way better than their position in the league dictates. I thought they were a very good-looking team. They played some good little passes. You can see they're struggling to score. That was actually their fourth successive nil-nil draw, which is a record, apparently. <laughs> a record since 2009 hasn't been broken in all four divisions. Um so, I did say two weeks ago that Stoke is an incredibly dour and boring place, and they they actually gave the light to that because they they played some really nice football, didn't they? Tom um, for all for thought. all the nil nil draws. I mean, it's interesting if you go back to the I think our start of the season show where we talked about predictions, right? You know, a number of us said yeah, I quite fancy Stoke for the league this season. I mean, you know, they've held on to the bulk of a squad that came down from the Premier League. They've got some good footballers, you know, Tom Ince, Bojan, um, Befikafobi. I mean, you know, he's an absolute beast of a striker. Allen, too. Um, Allen played a good game on Saturday. Yeah, Joe Allen, exactly. And it, it, really, their season has just been, you know, a one one story of when a football club goes wrong, just how low confidence can sink and even the best footballers, you know, suddenly lose the ability to play as a team. Um, what they seem to have started to do in recent weeks is to kind of start to find their, their kind of their gelling again. Um, and I guess they're not, you know, they're not fluid in the sense they're scoring goals, but... Uh, I, I think it actually is quite ominous for next season, arguably, if they keep the bulk of that squad together, because they're beginning to find that that fluency again and that kind of um, that confidence coming back into the game. And it's Nathan Jones, I think, isn't it? The manager who came from from Luton. Um, you know, obviously he's um, he's getting used to that playing squad. But I thought they were very impressive, like you said, Paddy. Um, and um, and in many respects, given the fact that we kind of didn't, we had a bit of a false start with the team selection and the change with Boyd, we didn't really get going, we didn't really have an outlet up front, the goal didn't stand. Um, probably a point a point well earned in the end. I think that's down to uh, our defence, right? So you've got to give a lot of credit to uh, Westwood, first of all, it was a great save, a, p- a couple of good saves actually, but first one was from uh, Bojan, who I think had a great game too. Uh, lovely work by Tom Ince, uh, who, who fed Bojan and was clean through. And it, for, all, for all I thought, it was 1-0 to Stoke at that point. Um, but Westwood has shown over the last few games uh, that he's fantastic at getting out to the oncoming player, spreading himself wide and just getting something on it. Uh, and I think that was a fantastic save of Westwood and that was as good as a goal. Uh, and I think uh, John Pierce said something very similar on the lines of that too. Um so yeah, I think the whole defense did a fantastic job against Stoke. We had like what I think we had like thirteen corners or something even more than that maybe, um, and we defended them all 
reasonably well from start to finish. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, actually, um, was about keeping Cooper on for so long. And the first substitute we made uh, was bringing Sam Winnall on for Forestieri. Do you think that was the right call? Well, I kind of go back to what I said earlier on about the fact that I felt like we lacked a, a target man. And you've got to be careful when you use these phrases, right? Because, you know, it sounds a bit cliche, target man, you know, lump it long, ball sticks with them, etc. That's not what I mean when I talk about Stephen Fletcher. I mean, he he moves the defence to the point where when the ball comes to him, you know, he knows the right touch to play someone else in, whether it's to kind of hold the ball tight or whether it's to lay off quickly or whether it's to try and turn his man. That's not Adi who, but knew who's our kind of second best Stephen Fletcher, if you will. Um, and I, in a game like that, where we were struggling to get an outlet in the final third, I think my instinct would have been for Newhu at that point. Um, but I, I can, I can, you can get yourself into the headspace with Steve Bruce, where, you know, he gave Winnell a start in the last game before the international break. You know, he's trying to play himself back into fitness. He's hungry. It's a tight game. You know, he, he kind of wants someone snapping in at those half chances. Um, you know, if you're going to go for light for light, Windle's probably the right swap with Hooper in that respect. I mean, personally, I would have changed it up a little bit, but I, I can understand the rationale. Yeah, I think Hooper ended up playing about 65 minutes, was it? 70, 70 minutes before he brought a new U on. Um, so it's a, a fantastic um, effort from him. Um, he definitely was lagging towards the end, as you might expect. But I, I, I expected a half out of him at the most. Um, well... I didn't have anything from him at first, but, but to get 45 minutes to 70 minutes uh, from him, I thought it was fantastic. So, uh, fair play to Hooper for that. He didn't have a terrible game, like I say. He, um, I thought he, uh, it took a while to get his passing um, uh, right, firing on, on cylinders. But other than that, solid start after a long layoff. So, no complaints there. Uh, back to Westwood. I want to uh, bring up another good save he made from a phobe, I think it was, with the bullet header. Uh, it kind of just was just in the way of that one. It wasn't that point. was like the last minute one, wasn't it? Where it kind of, uh, you know, again, it was right at the death and he, he just seemed to be in the right place, right time for that one. Yeah, it was. It still needs to be saved, doesn't it? Um, and then uh, I think this is where Stokes had to turn the screw a bit more. Uh, it was definitely a better second half from uh, Stoke than uh, the first half. Uh, and they had, a, I think, a pretty good penalty shout uh, when Lees brought down the, uh, I think it was a winger. What do you think about that call there? Um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm laughing because in real time I just looked at it and went, "Oh yeah, it's going to be a penalty." <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not a penalty. It's, it's actually a really good challenge. Um, and it, it's, it's it's the same with the offside, right? You know, in real time you look at it, yeah, it's probably offside. You look at it back, it's nice. It's pretty tight. And I, I guess what you realise is that in these games, you know, we're all partisan, right? We're kind of we're looking for the call. We're kind of we're Wednesday, so we're used to the calls going against us. You just realise just how tight they are. Um, and and Tom Lees does his job there. He gets down. He gets the just gets enough on the ball to to kind of um, you know to deny the chance and, and not to give away the penalty. But but yeah, I was kind of bracing myself for that. In the same way, I was bracing myself for Stoke to score when Westwood makes the uh, the wonder save in the second early in the second half as well. So um, it just kind of goes to show how tight the game was. You know, it was it was a game where any one of those moments go slightly different and you know we come away with a 1-0 maybe even a 2-0 Stoke Stoke win and you know maybe that's the end of our season really in, in all real terms um, but the defence stood firm Westwood stood firm and we're fighting going into, into Saturday into the Villa game and that's you know that was a big team effort uh, at Stoke it's not an easy place to go they're a good squad um, and, and there were some big performances there Kieran Westwood Michael Hector we haven't talked a lot about him but I thought he was outstanding in defence again yeah, he was. I think Palmer had a good game too. I think that back four now, you don't have to really call them out every single game because they're just very solid. They don't do a lot wrong. I offer uh, Palmer, Hector and Leeds and Westwood, obviously, fantastic. And Palmer almost won it right at the end with a cheeky kind of like... He chased down two defenders that no one really expected him to get anywhere near. Ended up with a pretty good shot that was well saved by the keeper. Now, if that went in, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think... Uh, Evans, Liam Palmer signed shirt would have gone up in value yeah. quite, quite well. Yeah, speaking of uh, coming out of your pants or whatever James said <laughs> earlier, um, that would have been that would have been something else. Can, can we can we just have a disclaimer here to just make sure that our British listeners understand that when we talk about pants, we're talking about you know trousers, pants, jeans. <laughs> just I don't want any misinterpretation or, or nefarious allegations being leveled against us. 
yeah, so so pants for us are the jeans, the the you know khaki pants or whatever, and underwear for us is what you guys call <laughs> khaki pants. pants right? is even even worse in English. <laughs> You're a khaki pants. No. Uh, khaki <laughs> pants though in in the Midwest are just your your average kind of uh, your pants. Slash. You can get a pair of khaki pants in uh, in in New Jersey. You know that's where skinny jeans reign in the uh, in the mm. hipster central that is uh, Secaucus. If you wear yeah, khaki right. pants in um, in England, then you shoot yourself, basically. Well, y'all y'all wear uh, those <laughs> those tight leather jeans in in New Jersey, right? <laughs> yeah, um, we've all got uh, <laughs> we're all like jump on Jovi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. how do we get from Liam Palmer to John Bon Jovi via <laughs> Paddy? Ah man, I don't I don't know, but uh, it was a good match overall. I mean. It's a draw. We move into our Wednesday news section, and, and we'll talk about the playoff run update. Midweek games didn't really help us. Right now, four points off sixth. Uh, Darby is one point off sixth with a game in hand. And so things not really looking good right now, Patty. Well, it's just, what didn't help is that it, Bristol's win against Borough uh, on Tuesday... Uh, I think really kind of made it difficult because they've just completely um, pushed Borough out of that standing and added an extra club to that fifth, sixth, seventh place now. So it's getting tougher and tougher. And those teams, uh, Villa and Bristol especially, are doing fantastically. So they're, they're, we're on a good run. They're on a fantastic run. And I'll talk about Villa later on, obviously, when we preview that game. But... It's going to be really tough now. I think if we don't win against Villa, then it's uh, the season's over. That's, that's, that's what I think at the moment. Uh, everyone else seems to have up their game too. Obviously, we've got to play Bristol still in uh, in the season. Villa's got to play Bristol too. So there's some massive games to come down the line. But um, I think without winning uh, against Villa on Saturday, then it's it's all over. Someone obviously nailed it on uh, on one of our uh, group chats actually over the weekend. Well, over the weekend, over, over the midweek. You know, they were talking about the fact that. You know, Bristol City. I'm just going to add that suffix, Paddy, just in case there's any Bristol City fans listening. You know, taking the same offence we would if uh, if someone referred to Sheffield. Um, they they just pulled out two absolute clutch wins right in the last two games. I mean, you know, the the win against Middlesbrough was huge. The, the win at Bramall Lane. You know, just to uh, not wanting to give too much kudos to our city neighbours, but you know, um, City were the first team to score. Uh, this year, this calendar year, let alone score three, came from behind twice, and that's an absolutely enormous win for them. Um, and made us all chuckle in the process as Leeds were coming back from uh, from losing as well. Um, but I think it has it has got to the point now where if we don't do exactly the same in our next two games against Villa and Forest, I think yeah, we're, you know th- things are uh, things are at kind of like the dry water zone for for the rest of the season. But let's be honest, it's nice to be in this position, right? We're still in play in April. We didn't expect that even a month ago. So, um, you know, to be going into the weekend with a big game against Villa, where if we win, we're st- we've still got a glimmer of a hope. That's all right. I'll tell you that. That squeak is getting a little bit quieter in the distance, though, isn't it? <laughs> it's a distant it's squeak. It's a muted you know. squeak. It's a muted squeak. Yeah. So, in other news, Forestieri has come out of his trial not guilty. James, did this drag on a little bit too long, you think? Yes. Um, well, so so in simple terms, yes. But, you know, it's not not underplay it. Any allegations as serious as racist abuse need to be thoroughly investigated. And if there's any hint of guilt, then they should be prosecuted. I don't think there was a hint of guilt here, from what I can see from the evidence. You know, it seemed to be what someone overheard from a dis- distance, and you know, trying to interpret Spanish and uh, in Mansfield, which is an art in and of itself. Um, why that was felt to be a, a case worthy of going to court, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that up to the prosecutors. But I suspect that this perhaps could have been avoided. Um, it's pleasing to see that um, you know he's been exonerated at least in in criminal settings. From my understanding, there's still some FA investigation ongoing to to ensure that you know he didn't bring the game into disrepute, etc. I don't know. Um, I, like I say, I want to be neutral on it because of the severity of the allegations. But it seems to me that he's been really dragged through the, uh, through you know, through the ringer on this one, and 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 that seems to be a pattern with Fernando Forestieri. A lot of people seem to have it in for him. 
Yeah. I'm going to be a bit more harsh. I think it's a farce. I think it's a farce that it went to court. Uh, what a waste of, of cash um, spent from everyone that was there, from like taxpayers' money. I just think if something like has been said that can be proven on a, on a football field, fair enough. And you've got a good case, by all means, those people should be brought to justice. But if it's in a pre-season friendly at Mansfield, where this kind of a muffled, kind of like, I don't know, someone might have thought someone said something else, you can't be that certain that he's definitely said those words. I'm sorry. In the heat of the moment, on a football field, it's just it's just something that's hung, hung over Forest Diary's head for ages now. And it must... I'm just trying to think. Put yourself in Forest Diary's shoes. He's been accused of being racist. It's hung around now for, what, seven months? Maybe more? Um, I just think it was a waste, and it should never have got this far. Uh, and I'm very happy that it's been proven not guilty, and we can he can move on with the, what's left of the season. Um... So yeah, let's uh, put a pin in that and just hope it uh, doesn't rear its ugly head again. Talking of putting a pin in it, um, given that the the case has now been uh, settled, we can uh, we can talk about the more humorous side of it, which is that one of his character witnesses was one Addie Newhu, who was called to the stand to uh, to testify in his defence. And afterwards, having uh, having been acquitted, they went to Nando's in Meadowhall to celebrate. So they they literally put one of those little flag pins in a in a piece of uh, spicy chicken and uh, <laughs> and tucked into uh, to commemorate the yeah, the occasion. I mean, these people are earning these people like what ten, fifteen, twenty grand a week, and they celebrate being found not guilty of racism by going to Nando's in the mall. <laughs> why don't uh, Why don't you guys explain what what Nando's is and maybe uh, give us uh, a U.S. equivalent? Well, it's it's, it's it's tricky because Nando's is fantastic. in My opinion, it's, it's a very good chain. Of Portuguese chicken, um, kind of like grilled chicken with like peri peri spices. Um, there's not many. There's only really, I think, three Nando's in the whole of America. Two of them are in Washington, I think. Um, uh, there's maybe like some like Peruvian chicken similar in America. I've seen like Pio Pio's. I've got like a small chain in New York. I haven't seen anything like. It. Have you, James? Uh, let's just be clear it's not chick-fil-a um <laughs> it's yeah it, it, it's a, it's a sort of kind of you know it, it would probably be kind of like a hipster food chain in uh, in new york <laughs> you know it'd be like a startup uh, portuguese fried chicken joint that you know eventually would become the next chipotle and then be disowned by people of uh, of plaid shirts and uh, and wax mustache sort of fame but um it's yeah it's, fried, it's, it's it's a real grilled. phenomenon back it's in the uk grilled. they're on every high street it's flame grilled chicken not fried it's delicious. Flame, sorry, flame grilled, not fried. Very, very true. And the the real irony is that you know the uh, the colloquial phrase back in the UK is going for a cheeky Nando's, hence the uh, the association with our aforementioned uh, slightly feisty forward. Speaking of feisty forwards, Fletcher, Player of the Month for the third time this season. Is that well deserved? Is there someone else you thought might deserve it? How about Patty? I think I think Palmer was unlucky the last month. I think um, it would have been great to see him get some recognition. But I'm not going to argue too hard against that because Fletcher's been fantastic for well the last three months because he's got the award for the last three months. Um, so no no arguments for me. Uh, fully deserved. Uh, I think, like I say, Palmer could be uh, hard done by and maybe even uh, some more of the defenders and, and Westwood to some shout to. But no, no complaints to me whatsoever. Then another guy that could possibly have won that player of the month this month, Kieran Westwood in the Football League team of the week, James. Uh, yeah, and that one save from Bojan uh, pretty much did it on its own right, right? I mean, look, he, Kieran Westwood has been nothing short of sensational since he came back into the Wednesday side at the turn of the year. Um, you know, we, we're what now? 10 unbeaten? Uh, or is it 12 unbeaten? I'm, 12, I'm, I'm, I'm my my numbers are failing me, yeah, uh, well. which is uh, poor by reputation, you know. And, and a huge part of that has been the clean sheets that he's kept. You know, he's he's made some game changing saves in a series of matches. Um, you know, he's got himself back into the Republic of Ireland selection. Uh, he's an integral part of Steve Bruce's Sheffield Wednesday. It will amaze me if Wednesday don't make a move to to give him a new contract um, as we go into the summer. Um, and you know, regardless of how we got here and what on earth went on behind the scenes under Yoslukai, uh, he has been 
absolutely central to, to Wednesday's resurgence in the second half of the season. So very much deserved to be uh, to be part of the team of the week. Kudos to him for that. But yeah, I, I think any one of those three Player of the Month awards that's gone to Fletch could, could equally have gone to Westwood. We will take a quick break, and when we return, we'll chat with Mike Glazer in New Hampshire in our segment, How I Became a Wednesdayite. Welcome back and welcome into the return of How I Became a Wednesdayite. Joining us now from the home of Max Apples is Mike Glazer in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Mike, how did you become a Wednesdayite? Well, it's uh, quite a long, drawn-out story, but lovely to be here, and thanks for, for having me on. Um, I come from a, a military family, so my dad was in the U.S. Army, and my mother's actually a German in or was at the time in the German army. Um, so naturally I was raised on football from an early age and it started off with international um, football. So mostly watching Germany, um, England and the US of course. And just over time that passion, having played the game, watched the game, it's, it's just kind of translated to um, really going on to the club level and watching club uh, football and just kept doing that for, for a while, watching the Prem, watching the Bundesliga. And it finally came time for me to pursue my uh, graduate degree. And I ended up in this little city called Sheffield, Sheffield, England. And that was my introduction to Sheffield Wednesday. This was back around 2012, just when they got a promotion. So I got to see all the positivity and was wondering why we had red and white stripes wandering around the city and then blue and white stripes wandering around the city. So I dug into that a bit more, and, and that's kind of what led to uh, Sheffield Wednesday for me. How did you pick the blue and white rather than the, the red and white? Um, well, being a historian, which is what I got my uh, degree in, I did a lot of research on on the two clubs. I watched um, their matches. I just wanted to see what what it was all about, really, because Sheffield has such a rich football history. Um, I wanted to see how that can, how that connects and why do people connect to these clubs. And um, I just really, really liked Hillsborough. Um, seeing it, visiting. Um, I love the Sheffield Wednesday story, and. Uh, uh, just started kind of following casual and then it just built up over time. And now it's the New Hampshire owls, it's uh, blue and white stripes with everything. So it just kind of came full circle after a while. That's fantastic. So how long were you in Sheffield for Mike? Uh, unfortunately only just for, for a year for the graduate work um, at the university of Sheffield. So I tried to make the most of my time and I've gone back since but I would love to uh, get back there and attend some some games and um, just kind of experience that atmosphere. And it seems like we're on the up, so hopefully the the, the games I will witness will be at a at a higher level. So we rarely get an opportunity to ask this, Mike. But um, as an American, what's your impressions of Sheffield as a city? Um, I mean, you spent a year there, so you kind of got to know the, uh, the kind of a few of the. Uh, you know the the places to hang out and uh, and a sense of the culture. What was your what was your take on Sheffield? Kind of aside from Sheffield Wednesday, absolutely fantastic. I um, actually call it my my home away from home. And being in a military family, um, I never really had a home um, home city, so to speak. So Sheffield is is that for me, and absolutely loved every aspect of it. Um, I was always at the uh, old Queen's Head pub, um, getting some pints of Thwaites, which is fantastic it's a shame they don't um, ship that over here but the the culture the people the um the accent something we had an orientation talking about the the sheffield accent uh, it was quite funny but <laughs> an orientation on the accent <laughs> they they did actually so they were like if someone says love to you then it, it doesn't mean anything it's just a friendly <laughs> greeting 
Or like when they talk about ducks, like, hey, up duck, it's it's another type <laughs> of greeting. Like, yeah, I, I got it. I, I fully understand. <laughs> Duck so, love the same thing, same meaning. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So it uh, still it, it took a little bit to get used to that part. But um, just everything, everything about Sheffield, the, the history, the industry. Um, I did a uh, work placement at the Manor Lodge up on the hilltop on um, the old Earls of Shrew. So I, I just got to experience a little bit of everything in Sheffield, and I really look fondly back at uh, at my time there. Did you get to um, see, see, see saw some games there? Can you remember the games you saw? Or, or, or what, what stuck out? You remember me the most? So I unfortunately never was able to get to a game at Hillsborough oh, because right. it it just didn't fit with my um, with my schedule, unfortunately. But um, again, because I was looking into the the history of the game um i saw sheffield fc and the i read all about the sheffield rules of, of football so the history is there and i think anybody who has an interest or, or a passion or a love for the game needs to go to sheffield it doesn't matter if you support any of the the four teams that are there um you just have to experience that vibe and that culture in the city so I would highly recommend anyone to to get over there and do that. So really, kind of. So then over. Sorry, go, go ahead, over. Patty. No guns. All right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you said you've been kind of following since 2012. You haven't been to any matches, but um, first of all, how how have you followed them? Whether it be I follow or Wednesday player, and are there any specific? memories or, or moments that have stuck out to you since 2012 because again i, I told told us before but 2012 is about the time when i started following the club as well so just kind of sure. curious what sticks out to you uh definitely the the final against hull um i remember based on the the, the time difference uh, i was actually at, at work and so i'm just constantly refreshing the bbc website to to see the updates and uh, unfortunately just watching the uh the time tick away, but I don't think I was any more excited than that game and, and just following along and seeing how, how the, the team rose that year and, and turned, turned it into something. Um, and there was such positivity heading into the next season as well. Um, and, and being able to just kind of experience all of that. And I have similar experiences like with American football, with, with the team I support, but it wasn't on the same level, if that makes sense. It, it was a different feeling, um, and and it, I don't think it can be replicated um, unless Sheffield right now, Wednesday pulls off this uh, playoff promotion run if, if they can, but um, definitely definitely the, the Hull game. Um, but besides that, just the ups and downs of of any season. Um, you know, I read owls talk for some reason. Um, when I, when I really, need to, when I'm really <laughs> upset reason. about things, but you, you ride that roller coaster. And I think if you're a sports fan, there's not much more you can ask for. I wish I follow would work better though. Yeah, it can be frustrating for sure. So, so in, uh, in New Hampshire, then, what is or Londonderry specifically? What what's your match day routine like? You, you mentioned I followed you. Do you get up and try to watch? Do you go to a, a pub? Do you what's a day? What's a Saturday morning like for you? It's um it's a cook a cook a breakfast with you know good old staple of pancakes, bacon, and eggs, and sitting down for for a game with the kit and the flag flying high. Um, so it's it's uh, more of an individual thing for me or, or getting my, my young son to sit down with me. Um, he's 18 months, so he doesn't fully know what's going on. And um, like I told Patty beforehand, he has this, uh, this interest in the color red, which is a little unfortunate. But we, we like to sit down and, and watch the games on, on our TV. I'd absolutely love to get something going um, maybe at a, at a pub here. that We have a couple pubs that show games on occasion um but it, it's just a matter of, of getting everyone together 
I know that we on occasion there's an attempt to set something up in Boston. The problem is it's in Boston. So <laughs> that uh, that's just a, a little bit of a problem. But we do have a place here. You might find this funny. It's actually called the BBC Restaurant, British Beer Company. <laughs> and uh, very stereotypical. Um, and it's becoming less British by by the the month basically they'll they have some good um beers on tap and and you can watch games there but um nothing with i follow yet that i've been able to to get them to to do yeah i mean even for us in new york we have to bring our own laptops and set it up behind the bar you need to find a very friendly barman or a very good sports bar that'll let you do that it's it's, it's not easier i grant you that if you're not no definitely you. not definitely not there there's a, a pub that's opening up here in uh, londonderry actually that i'm keeping an eye on to to see if maybe i can introduce myself and get something going with them so we'll see awesome. so, so it's boston the nearest big city to you uh, londonderry yeah no i mean new hampshire is famous for one thing which is the primary every four years for elections <laughs> and otherwise no one knows where we are so um boston is the the major city it's about 30 minutes south of here and they actually just had the um the uh nbc premier league morning show there they just did that this past weekend and massive i think they had ten thousand, eleven thousand people um and boston has huge huge uh, supporter groups um for a lot of the the bigger clubs um so it's just trying to find the people who support Wednesday or support other clubs either in the championship or um, some of the other lower levels, the lower tiers. Um, I know we have a couple in New Hampshire, uh, just never been able to, to connect with them. So if you're listening, let's chat. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned the uh, Premier League mornings live thing, which was this weekend on NBC. Wednesday got a shout out from Robbie Earl, actually. I don't know if you saw that. Because um, we, we did have a Wednesday fan in the crowd. That wasn't you, was it, in the crowd? That was somebody else called Mike, I think. Yeah, it, it was somebody else i saw that which was fantastic so nicely done to him yeah so uh big up to that mike that managed to uh, get well shift wednesday noticed on nbc's premier league mornings <laughs> uh so yeah there's, there's a few people in new hampshire people in boston um and that area um unfortunately it's such a massive area uh, i can see why it's, it's you struggle to kind of get everyone together but I, I like the fact that people are trying uh it's, it's awesome that we're getting mentioned on nbc um i think um it's on our Facebook actually that on our Owls America's Facebook group if you want to see the uh, clip from uh, the weekend uh, and Sheffield Wednesday again shout out from Robbie Earl. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That sounds fantastic. Um, so you say you spot other teams uh, in America too. So uh, you, and you've been around the states with with your family. So how do you settle on an American football team? Um. So right now my uh, my parents ended up retiring and moving back to their their home state of Wisconsin. Um, so right now the, the USL has been busy um, kind of refining their championship, the second tier in the pyramid. And they just launched league one, um, a very original name, which is the third tier of their pyramid. And I was harassing those guys since they started the league because Manchester, New Hampshire, which is 10 minutes North from me was one of the, the cities that was, listed as a potential option for for a club so i was just constantly on their facebook pages sending them messages trying to talk up manchester um because we that's our biggest city we have a sizable population a very diverse mix of people and and a lot of footy supporters there uh but alas nothing has happened there yet so in the meantime um madison wisconsin gets a team called forward madison fc uh the flamingos so that is uh, the team I've now de- <laughs> kind of dedicated myself towards until at least until something happens here in, in New Hampshire, I, hopefully. But that's one of the that's one of the worst crests I've ever seen. <laughs> it do you, is. Do you know why? That? Do I know why it's awful? Well, <laughs> Did Paul Owen design it? Oh! <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm absolutely kidding. But no, please, please tell me. Yeah, so so they they're they're called the flamingos um, because it goes back to a trick, a prank that the University of Wisconsin played late in the like the late seventies, where they the entire lawn in front of their main building they just decked out with thousands and thousands of plastic flamingos, and 
that image actually stuck. So the pink plastic flamingo is actually the city bird, believe it or not. So it became natural that um, that flamingo would get thrown on onto the crest along with all the other symbolisms that they somehow derive, like the isthmus and the, the sun rays and whatever else they have on there. But uh, yeah, it's all about it's all about the plastic flamingo. So I have two outside my house now. That's funny. Yeah. So overall, though, I uh, I, I saw that crest a while back and kind of looked into it. They have their kits are actually pretty sweet. I, I I think for for having kind of a strange crest overall, their kits are cool and and I think it's perfect from for being from Wisconsin that their main kit sponsor is called Dairyland. Um, just, you know, nothing's more fitting than talking about dairy and cheese in Wisconsin. Right. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. The the kits are are pretty nice. I mean, you can't go wrong plastering flamingos all over them, I guess. (laughs) Well, I think you can, but (laughs) you can't make it up. No. Is it, is it pink? Surely the kits have to be pink if they've got a flamingo for the rest. No, no, no. They're, they're blue and white. And I think they have like, uh, maybe a black, a black like goalkeeper kit or something. Kit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pink is pink is the accent color all over it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. But it's like a, a baby blue color. They're pretty, they're pretty nice looking. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how that goes, um, you know, in, in the third division, but, uh, Hey, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, they, they'll, they'll be better than the revs. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, gosh, they probably get more people at their games as well. Oh, I can't stand the ones. Um, so, hey, last question we, we always ask people is kind of uh, how do you think the club's doing so far? And we haven't talked to anyone in a while. So most of our answers from our you know, most previous segments are just out, basically. The club's, yeah, the club's awful. But right now things are going well. Curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, it's um, it's been a ride. Um, kind of seeing that, that swing uh just from being absolute bottom and talking about potential relegation. I never went that deep on it, but just seeing them kind of languishing at, at the bottom of the table was, uh, wasn't the best thing. And just seeing the same tactics and the same results over and over again with, with really no answer. And all of a sudden new manager, you get that bump, things start to click and it's, it's looking upwards. Um, so now some of those, uh, those ties are coming back to to haunt them a little bit, but I they're they're heading in the right direction. And momentum is a funny thing. So you know, play continue to play as as they are now. I mean, it's really nice seeing Michael Hector doing some fantastic work. Westwood with his clean sheets, being back into the the side, the, the starting side, I should say. Um, if they get in into the playoffs, fantastic. But I will consider it a win. Um, regardless of where they finish at this point. I think they're addressing it the right way now. And that leaves me with a lot of positives for uh, for next season. So I'm really looking forward to that. Good stuff, man. Well, hey, it's been excellent to talk to you. Uh, before you get out of here, though, can you tell people where they can find you online? Sure. So, I mean, I'm part of the uh, Owls America's Facebook page. So if anyone... Um, from New Hampshire is listening, definitely feel free to uh, send me a message and would love to get together for, for breakfast and a game at some point. And uh, yeah, let's make it happen. Excellent. Well, that's Mike Glazer in New Hampshire. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, cheers, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. We'll take, a, take a quick break, and when we get back, we will preview Aston Villa. Welcome back to episode 64 of Owls AmeriCast. And now we will preview Aston Villa, who have won five straight matches. Not just not just undefeated in five straight matches. They've won five in a row. And James a- Abraham is definitely the danger man. But Graylish, the one getting all the plaudits and getting all of the punches to the face, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, um, let's let's hope this this game has no uh, no kind of grudges to settle or uh, or any feisty moments involving players with hot headed temperament, eh? Um, yeah, no, look, I mean, 
Villa have been, you know, one of the big success stories of of the second part of the season. Uh, Dean Smith's done a, an amazing job picking up from you know a manager who'd kind of left them languishing in in mid table. Um, you know, a guy who uh, who was so useless he had to have cabbages thrown at him. Um, oh, turns out that there's a there's a story here, isn't there? Um, look, I mean, I I don't know what Steve Bruce. Uh, did to offend the Villa fans, but something went wrong in the relationship, and um, and the rest is history. Um, so there's there's some real spice about this game. Um, you know, I don't think we can underestimate in any way, shape, or form the fact that you know, I think Steve Bruce will want to get one over on on Villa. Um, I don't think you know he left in the happiest of circumstances. All the same, I know he'll be incredibly professional about it and and be you know disciplined and uh, and focused regarding regardless of the result. But make no mistake, Villa have been a very good side in this second part of the championship season. You know the the run they're on is is all but cementing them um, as you know certainly the fifth, if not fourth team in the division. So you know probably in the playoffs again this season um, with that sixth place still to play for. Um, and yeah, you know they've held on to a player like Jack Grealish who was the subject of a lot of bids, I think, from Spurs in the summer last year. You know, a lot of speculation he was going to leave. He's, he's a Premier League quality player playing in midfield. They've got John McGinn, who's uh, who's excellent as well. Uh, Tammy Abraham, they've managed to hold on to up front. So, you know, a really powerful side. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a spectacular game at Hillsborough on Saturday. I'm actually really excited about it. We said earlier in, in the episode, Wednesday can't afford not to win this one. So you have to assume that we're going to set, us, set ourselves up for the win. Um, and there's no reason why Villa wouldn't want to continue that winning streak that they're on as well. So it's all sta- set, stages set for a really, really exciting game at Hillsborough on Saturday. I just hope Fletcher's fit and I hope Aaron's is fit. And I think that, that way will give them a game. Um, without those two people, we're, as you saw against Stoke, we're a little bit different, a little bit toothless. Um, but I'm hoping that Bruce has kept Fletcher out of that game to uh, to make sure he's fully fit for the Villa game. Did I see that Kieran Lee was back in training? Now, I'm not I'm not suggesting he should be in the squad by any means, but uh, just a side note that we haven't discussed yet. Was he back in training? He is. Did yeah. did you did you not see the uh, the video of him laying on a goal at Hillsborough? No. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Oh. oh, I said I was popping out of my pants when I was talking about Gary Hooper. And this was <laughs> Goodness me, I had to have a lay down afterwards. Um, there was like a training, uh, I was going to say training game, it wasn't even a full training game, it was like a training session on the pitch at Hillsborough in midweek and um, someone was sat up in the stands videoing bits of it and you know, it's players kind of just knocking the ball about fairly casually. There's a player in a yellow bib, it's only bloody Kieran Lee and he breaks out of defence and kind of runs down the left, just dinks a little ball across, someone rolls it in with a back heel. Oh, it was it was gorgeous, Evan. If you haven't watched it, that's that is thirty seconds of of time that you have to spend. Well, so last thing about Villa, we sort of mentioned it earlier. We haven't really talked about it on the podcast. We don't need to get too much into it. But but Graylish, you know, took took a a beating from from the Birmingham City supporters and well, one supporter in particular, and then I guess a uh, a steward or something of of the sort. But anyway, my question that I've had, and I haven't really talked to you guys about it. If a fan comes on the pitch, we've seen it with Kirtland, um, Kirkland, excuse me, back when the Leeds fan ran on the pitch. But if a fan runs on the pitch, hits one of your teammates, say, say you're, you're one of his teammates, and you are you really just going to like let it happen and just go push him away? In my mind, if one of my teammates gets hit like that, I wouldn't react calmly. I mean, I would... Like there's a good chance that that guy would get a fistful himself, and if that were to happen, is there? There's probably no precedent. But how would the football league react? Like if if you attacked a fan who has attacked your own player, is there is there a punishment for that? I mean, what what do you think would happen? I seem to recall that at least there's been a push. Like sometimes you'll see a fan try to celebrate with the other players, right? You'll see like a couple of the players push him away. I've seen I've seen that happen before. I haven't seen them go as, uh, other than bicycle, other than kick someone in the chest from the uh, stands. <laughs> I haven't seen any of them as far as violence towards a fan coming towards you. Oh, am I getting that right, James? I can't recall anyone. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, we seem to have got a long way away from the Villa game here, Evan. We've gone into a very hypothetical conversation about <laughs> fan invasions. I mean, we, we could kind of nip it in the bud and just say, it's bloody daft. Stay in the stands. Don't get involved with footballers. Um, I mean, what happened at Birmingham was nothing short of disgraceful. I think, you know, sure. uh, the Birmingham fans rightly rounded on one of their own for, for their behaviour there as well. Um, yeah, it's, there's just no place for it, right? He's um, been charged by the I'm way, not, guys. He's, he's been... Uh... Is being convicted, the uh, guy that got in the picture. Yeah, exactly. It's it's, it's criminal assault. Um, look, I mean, the, the best way of analogising it is, you know, if if someone comes up and attacks someone in real life, you'll try and defend the person who's being attacked. It doesn't give you the right necessarily to go and exert physical violence against the other person. You've just got to exert the right amount of defence, and I think that's uh, that yeah. principle probably stays true in any any circumstance. Well, in, in Forestier, he got a second yellow this year for celebrating with fans that. They weren't even on the pitch, right? They were just up close where, where they probably shouldn't be. So just uh, kind of an interesting trend in football, I guess, is people getting too close or even onto the pitch. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Patty, why don't you tell us about some of our meetups for the weekend? Uh, yes, we'll do. So we've got um, much of the weekend. We've got the Tuesday game against Boris, too. So uh, in New York, there'll be a meetup on... Saturday at the Football Factory at 10 a.m. We're back to um, uh, five hours behind the UK, so it's back to 10 o'clock kickoffs. And I do believe we'll be graced with presence by James and Jeffrey. Is that right? It is right. Yeah, Jeff is coming down from Connecticut. I'm uh, liberalising myself from Queens, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have a chance to hang out with the uh, Villa New York club as well, who were excellent company earlier in the season. So, uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. You know, I've really loved singing uh, Steve Bruce songs because they they usually watch the match in the same area as us, um, and obviously they've been a good run too. So it's not really rubbing their noses in it, but it's quite fun because they were all like mocking us when we got Bruce as manager. But obviously, like we've uh, kind of uh, turned that around a little bit now. So I keep seeing Stevie Bruce's Bami Army, and they they are a little bit kind of uh, quiet in that corner now. So I really, really hope the Bruce gets one over them on the, on the weekend. Um, back to meetups. Uh, we are also meeting up in New York on the Tuesday at our um, away bar uh, with the Nottingham Forest New York fans. That is a two forty-five kickoff, and that is at Smithfield Hall on Twenty-third Street. Uh, don't go to the Football Factory. There'll be nobody there, and the game won't be on. Um, there will also be meetups in New Orleans, uh, and I believe it's that they changed venue uh, of Mimi's on Saturday. And I don't know if they've put in the calendar yet anything for Tuesday. Let me just triple check that. Da 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 da. da. No, nothing in the calendar yet for Tuesday for New Orleans. But keep checking back on uh, Facebook dot uh, slash Owls Americas. Oh, Excellent. Name. And Patty, how about <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, how about uh, New Orleans? You know, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago, the uh the charity appeal that we put out and uh tell us about how that ended up. Yeah, so we mentioned it on our um, podcast before the international break. Um so down in New Orleans, uh, I think it was about a week and a bit ago now, Tim Curry, one of our uh, New Orleans owls. Uh, raised $953 for the St. Baldwick's charity by shaving his head. And you can see some pictures of that on our um, Facebook too. So congrats to Tim. Loads of cash raised uh, for a great cause. And I, th- I believe you can still donate. Uh, so go to Owls Americas to, uh, on Facebook to find that link too. All right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in to episode 64 of Owls Americas. You can find more information on us at owlsamericas.com. You can email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at owlsamericas as well as Instagram. Again, that's owlsamericas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites, Reverend and the Makers. Our podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. James is on Twitter, at Manhattan Owl. And James, what is your favorite independent movie? I, I, I prefer movies that don't have sound, actually, Evan. I think that uh, you know, silent black and white movies are, are such a restorative art form in this uh, these troubled times. 
uh, I find it very helpful to to watch them on a rooftop late at night and and just to contemplate the world. Patty is on Twitter at Patty A Jones for talk about music acts that wear skinny jeans, and at New York Owls for Wednesday grousing. Patty, what is your favorite Sleater Kinney album? It's the last one. Um, uh, I forgot what it's called. Um, something about cities. It's great. Go listen to it. It's fantastic. Well, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and I love baseball. We'll see you back here next week. <laughs>